It is a privilege to be here with you tonight. And tonight we're actually going to focus on just three verses. Um, And I'm going to talk about the humility and humiliation of Jesus Christ tonight. Um, But before we dive into these three verses, I'm actually going to read 11 verses just to make sure that you understand these three verses in context so that you're able to hear the verses before and you're able to hear the verses after these three verses that we're going to zoom in on. Um, So if you have a Bible, you can open your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, just listen up. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, these 11 verses are beautiful, and there's so much within these 11 verses But we're going to zoom in on three verses, and we're going to look at these three verses microscopically. And the three verses that we're going to look at is verses 6, 7, and 8. And I'll read it again. The end of verse 5 says, Christ Jesus. Then verse 6 says, who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, listen to this, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we zoom in on verse 6, let us be amazed knowing that the king of the universe who created all things, everything you see, the trees, the grass, us, everything around us, the king of the universe humbled himself and came to earth to love sinful, wretched people like us. 
This is what we see in this text. This is what we see in these verses. It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God. Um, there's, there's many people who would say that, that when it says the form of God, um, they would say that it, it, Jesus must just be the outward shell of God. Um, the English word form here can be misleading because it suggests only the shape or outward appearance of something. But a better translation would be that um, although he was in the very nature God, because Jesus Christ is God. And there's many Muslims who believe that he's just the prophet, that he wasn't necessarily God, but they're wrong. Because Jesus is God. And only God can save mankind. So it says, Christ Jesus, though he was the very nature of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I love what we see in Colossians 1.15 where it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. <laughs> Talking about Jesus Christ. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says that the Word um, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, who is God, manifest in the flesh. So it's very clear that this is pointing to the fact that Jesus is God, but we see his humility that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He could have came and just did whatever he wanted with mankind. But that's not the posture that Jesus took. He took the form of a servant. He came among us and served Again, this is the creator of the universe who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to that, but he emptied himself. And a lot of people would say, um, well, what did he emptied himself of? You have some individuals who will say, well, he emptied himself of his deity, and that's heresy. He did not empty himself of his deity. But he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, this is something that we could just read and skip over. But I don't want us to skip over this. I want us to think really hard about what this means. This verse 7, that says, but he emptied himself. He gave up his divine privileges by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. Now, for us to really understand what's going on here, we have to understand a bigger picture, I believe. Um, a lot of us would read this verse and we would be very familiar with what we would call the incarnation, where God wraps himself in flesh and is born of a virgin. 
Uh, we would call that the incarnation. Emmanuel, God dwelling among us. God manifested in, in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But for us to really understand the importance of the incarnation, we have to understand the pre-incarnation. We have to understand um, the state Christ was in before he humbled himself and came to this earth. If we could really grasp what it was like for him to be in heaven and in glory and to get an understanding of that, it would make so much more sense why we should be rocked, why we should be broken, why we should be humbled, why we should be in awe that Jesus would leave his throne to come dwell among us. And I think a good way for us to see this is to look at what Isaiah 6 says. So again, if you have a Bible, would love for you to turn there with me. If you don't, please listen along as I read. And this is what Isaiah 6 reads. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, these powerful creatures. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now there's a lot of people who have read Isaiah 6. And they automatically conclude that the person who's sitting on a the throne there is God the Father. But if we was to do biblical theology, meaning if we was to just trace what is going on here throughout the Bible, what we see here in Isaiah 6, then you'll come to the conclusion that the one who is seated on the throne here is Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at passages like John 12, 41, and again, if you don't have a Bible, maybe just remember this, John 12:41. If you look at passages like that, you see that Isaiah was talking about Jesus when he saw that vision. John chapter 12 verse 41 says, "Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him." And if you just look in context, read in the verses before that verse and read in the verses after who Isaiah is talking about is Jesus. He saw Jesus sitting on the throne. Now if we come back to Isaiah 6 and we read Isaiah 6, understanding that Jesus is on the throne, it gives us a more accurate picture of the state that he was in before he left glory to humble himself to come amongst sinful human beings. So I'm going to read Isaiah 6 just one more time. And listen, try to tune in with all of your might. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe, the, 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 the last part of his robe, the, the robe filled the temple. I mean, his robe was so massive alone, it fills the temple. This is a massive being. So he says he sees this one sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. His, his robe, the train of his robe filled the temple. Then it says above him stood seraphim, these powerful creatures. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. So you have to understand what's going on here. Creatures who have been created to be in the presence of God can't even withstand being in his presence. These creatures have to cover their faces, and they cover their feet. And they're, they're in God's presence, covering their faces and covering their feet, saying, holy, holy, holy to one another. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And this is what's going on here. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then the Bible says in verse 4, and the foundations of the threshold shook. And at the voice of him who called... The house was filled with smoke. So just imagine this scene. This place is filled with smoke. There's other places that talk about how there's lightning and thunder around this throne. So here it is. This, this, this being sitting on the throne who is Jesus Christ is used to hearing holy, holy, holy. He's used to powerful creatures worshiping him day and night, every single moment, every single hour. There's not a time that passes where they're not constantly boasting about his majesty and declaring how holy he is. And he's just constantly hearing this chorus, holy, holy, holy. This is what he is used to. But then the Bible says in verse 7, that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's crazy. Here it is, the creator of the universe is now humbling himself in order to be born through his own creation. There's this rapper who, who, who said um, in a song called The Humility of Christ, he said there was no doctors around. No spot could be found to give birth to a child. The only option in town was to be born in a feeding trough with breeding cows and feces pals. This scene was foul. It wasn't fancy but raunchy how the Son of God was born next to camels and donkeys. What an awesome feat 
He dropped so deep to cop his sheep. He didn't step down. He took a quantum leap. And then he goes on to say, and I'm amazed how God, infinite in wealth, put aside his fame and limited himself to time and space and eyes and legs and died to save a violent race who soon will bring him hell. When you think of it this way, the Son of God left glory constantly hearing powerful creatures Constantly saying to him, holy, 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 talking about how glorious he is. And then he leaves that. And he's born of a virgin. And he's born around camels and donkeys. He's born around feces. He wasn't born in a great hospital like many of us was. But he was born in a place that was surrounded with stenches that might make some of us throw up. Jesus was not born in a palace. Jesus was born in poverty. Jesus wasn't born to a king and a queen. Jesus was born to a peasant girl. See the contrasts. The Bible says that he humbled himself. J.I. Packer says the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Yes, Jesus is God as we see in the text, but we also see that he was born in the likeness of man. We call it the hypostatic union. Jesus Christ being fully God, but he's also fully man. The Bible calls him the mediator. He's the one who's able to bridge the gap between sinful, wretched human beings and a holy and righteous God. Because he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And he's able to bridge the gap between sinful, corrupt beings and a just God. Jesus walked this earth just like you and I. He was tempted in every way just like you and I, but where we have given into temptation, he never gave into temptation. He never sinned. And in the fullness of time, he was crucified on the cross. And on that cross, the full wrath of God, the full anger of God, the full justice of God was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And he was crushed in my place and in the place of sinners so that sinners would not have to experience his wrath. What love, what humility that he would humble himself in such a way. So, yes, he is God. But he also took on flesh and became a man. He used the bathroom just like us. He ate food just like us. He he drunk water just like us. I mean, he was very human. But the Bible goes on to say that he humbled himself even further. The Bible says that he became a servant. 
He goes from, from having powerful creatures worshiping him to now bowing down before his creation to wash their feet. I mean, if this is not humility, I don't know what humility is. That the king of the universe who created us, who created creatures, comes to earth, walks among us, and then bows down and even washes some of the feet of the creatures that he created. I mean, this would be like a king who leaves the palace and takes off his majestic robe in order to put on the garments of a slave in order to go and serve and labor and display love amongst sick, diseased, corrupt, sinful people. Now, just because that king leaves his palace and takes off his royal robe and puts on the slaves of a garment, uh, the, the garment, garments of a slave in order to care for people, doesn't mean that he ceases from being a king. And in the same way, just because God emptied himself and came to earth in order to serve mankind, mainly by laying down his life and dying for them, doesn't mean that he ceased to be God. This is God who came and dwelt among us. This is the God who, who can't even look upon sin, who then veils himself in flesh and comes to earth and then walks among us seeing the sin, smelling the sin, seeing the fornication, knowing of the adultery, knowing of the abuses of the body, whether it be drugs or drunkenness or whatever else, knowing of the lies, knowing of the corruption, seeing it, smelling it, walking amongst us because of love, that he humbled himself to that extent. This is amazing. And the Bible says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. To give his life in order to purchase sinful human beings. So in verses 6 and 7, we see his humility. But in verse 8, we see his humiliation. It's one thing for him to humble himself. It's a whole other thing for him to put himself in a position to be humiliated. Verse 8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it's one thing to humble yourself from the throne. It's one thing to humble yourself from the throne and then to be born in the likeness of man. It's a whole nother thing to go even further, to go down even more, and to even be a servant and to serve the creatures that you created. But it makes no sense at all that he would go even further and be obedient to the point of death, the Bible says, 
even death on a cross, that, that someone who was perfect, who never sinned, who was sinless, would die on the cross for sinners, would die on the cross for his enemies, would die on the cross for those who hated and despised him. That he would be crucified on that cross and they would mock him. And they would say things like, oh, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you take yourself off that cross? And they would mock him and he's on that cross listening to creatures that he created mock him. He could smash them if he wanted to, but his obedience kept him on that cross. And then eventually, he musters up enough strength. Jesus musters up enough strength on that cross to push himself up just a little bit to say a couple of words. And as he gets ready to speak, I could only imagine a crowd saying, what is he going to say? We've been mocking him. We've been making fun of him. We put a crown of thorns on his head. He's gushing blood everywhere. We ripped his back open. We beat him to a bloody pulp. And we hung him on a cross. I wonder what he's going to say. He's probably going to curse us. And I could imagine just the crowds, the crowds looking at Jesus and just saying, I wonder what he's going to say. And he musters up just enough strength to say a couple of words. And what comes out of his mouth is something that is just otherworldly. He prays for them. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I could only imagine them listening to him and saying, we're killing you. We're killing you. And what comes out of your mouth is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What type of love is this? What type of love is this that we would ball up our fists and raise it to God and he would respond back by wrapping us in his love? And that's what happened on that cross. Jesus died for sinners. That God demonstrated, the, the Romans 5.8 says it this way, God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die. It was when we were giving God the middle finger that he said, I'm going to send my son to die for you in that state. It wasn't when we were doing a bunch of righteous deeds. It was when we were in rebellion against God and sent his son to die. Picture it this way. The contrast here is so huge. Jesus goes from hearing holy, holy, holy to crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. He goes from the throne to the cross. The contrast here is staggering. Jesus was crushed. Jesus was cursed. 
so that we would be blessed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Galatians 3.13. Jesus became poor so that we would become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8.9 Jesus was made sin so that we would become righteousness of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this is amazing that he who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. Whoever repents of their sin and puts their trust in Jesus Christ is not only given eternal life, but you are made the righteousness of God. That means when God looks upon you, he sees perfection for those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what you have done, no matter how many people you have slept with outside of marriage, no matter how much drugs you have done, no matter how many times you have uh, been drunk or whatever it is, how many times you have lied, what, whatever you have done, maybe you killed somebody and no one knows about it. Maybe you're coming out of prison and you did some horrible things. You took someone's life. There's no sin that is too great that God can't forgive it. God is able to save the most vilest sinner. And the Bible says that if you repent of your sin, turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ, he will save you, transform you, give you eternal life and make you righteous. And when God looks upon you, no matter what you have done, he will see you as perfectly righteous. Because we're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not our own righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our best deeds are nothing. But Jesus has a perfect righteousness that he gives to those who repent of their sin and put their trust in him. Lastly, Jesus died so that we would be made alive. Jesus died so that we would be made alive. But God, being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. This is a free gift. There's nothing that you have to do. What the Bible says that you must do is just repent. Say, God, forgive me. 
and turn from your sin and put your trust in him. And that humility that was displayed in Jesus Christ, may it humble us, for us who are believers, may it humble us afresh to say, you're so worthy of all the honor, glory, and praise. For some of us who have strayed from Jesus, may you see the humility in Jesus to say, man, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back tonight. You're so worthy of all the honor. You're so worthy of all the praise that you would humble yourself and go from hearing holy, holy, holy to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him for me. And for those of you who just don't know him, where this may just be the night that you say, man, I haven't followed him, but I need to. This may be the night where you say, I haven't surrendered my life to him yet, but man, I want to. I want to encourage you to do so. It'll be the best decision you will ever make in your life. The worst decision that you could ever make is to not surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Because the Bible makes it very clear that for those who reject Jesus Christ will perish and spend the eternity in hell being tormented forever and ever and ever. All of us who love Jesus don't want that for you. But there is a better way and there is hope for you no matter what you have done. Surrender your life to Christ. Trust in the perfect righteousness found in Jesus. And the Bible says that he will welcome you into his kingdom. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So if you don't know him tonight, that humility that you heard about in Jesus, may it cause you to humble yourself and surrender your life to him.